How is a life review integrated into clinical practice? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me are Mimi Jenko and Lee Gonzalez, nurses and co-authors of the Journal of Hospice and Palliative Nursing article, Life Review with the Terminally Ill. Mimi is a clinical nurse specialist for palliative care at Lakeland Region Medical Center in Lakeland, Florida, and Lee is a clinical nursing specialist in Lakeland, Florida. Mimi, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Susan. Lee, welcome. Thank you. Lee, let's start with you. Explain what a life review is. A life review is a systematic and structured process of recalling your past life events and memories in an effort to find meaning in life and to achieve resolution of one's life. One purpose of life review is to assist a patient in coming to terms with their mortality so that they can focus on positive aspects of their remaining life. Life review has traditionally been utilized in the field of gerontology, but it really is useful for anyone facing the end of life. It can be used with people of advanced age, or it also can be used with people who have terminal illnesses, which was the focus of our article. Uh, Life Review offers an opportunity for the patients to resolve old conflicts and problems and to re-examine their past. Lee, what led to your passion for quality end-of-life care? My clinical background and experience are in the field of gerontological nursing, so I've cared for many patients and families who face these end-of-life issues. And in the not-too-distant past, there were very few options available for patients who wished to face death on their own terms and who wanted to do so without using extreme medical or nursing intervention. But recently, though, palliative care and hospice options have become much more available and much more acceptable both to healthcare professionals and to society in general. And this has allowed more patients the ability to choose or at least to have more of an involvement in the decisions regarding their own end-of-life experiences and care. And I feel that this is a very positive step, a very great move in the right direction for everyone involved, including patients, families, and practitioners. Mimi, what led to your passion for quality end-of-life care? Well, my clinical background is psych mental health nursing, and I was always interested in the blend of psychiatry and medicine, consultation liaison psychiatry, and actually did my graduate research on the dying patient. And then actually I had a death in my own family that introduced me to hospice. And once I reintegrated my own heart and health from that loss, I I got interested in hospice myself and spent four years as a hospice nurse. And I just see such an opportunity to make a difference. You know, sometimes my children laugh at me and say, Mom, you have a really weird job. You know, you have, you're around dying people all day. And I say, well, yes, I am. But I have an opportunity to make a difference. I think choosing a palliative route starts a family on a good bereavement road. If that person's going to die, then let's do it in a way that Dr. Biok, who's one of the leading palliative physicians, says that dying is hard but it doesn't have to be horrible. And that's sort of my stance, that I I want it to be as much as possible an experience where someone looks back and says, you know, this was really sad, but it was peaceful, it was dignified, 
I feel good about the way it happened. Not necessarily that it happened, but the way it happened. Lee, in your article, Life Review with the Terminally Ill, you state the behavior change process can occur at any point in the life cycle. Tell us more. One framework that we used in our article was the lifespan theory of developmental theorist Eric Erickson, who feels that psychological development does not end at adolescence, but that it continues on through several adult stages and on into old age. Erickson noted that there were many psychological and behavioral changes associated with the birth-to-death journey and that our adult development is influenced by many factors throughout our lifespan, that individuals do not merely grow, but they adapt to their changing world, their changing environment. And since there's probably no greater life change than that of facing our end of life, whether it is from old age or from a terminal illness at any age, we felt that the behavioral change process would certainly occur at this time as the patient has so much to adapt to, so many changes, so much going on within not only their own emotions and their own physical being, but also with their family, friends, and loved ones. Also, the goals of life review and the developmental tasks of Erickson's final life stage are identical. They are the acceptance of death and a satisfaction with life. Mimi, what does the life review research reveal? Well, again, the life review research is primarily done in the gerontological arena. Forty years of research has primarily focused on the elderly. Studies have been contradictory, but basically clinicians have concluded that aging is not the same for all people. It's not the same at all times and in all situations, and few older adults naturally engage in life review. Most concur that life review has been useful in understanding oneself and others, and it is widely practiced in the gerontological circles. It is also referred to in the palliative literature, but not as strongly as in the gerontological literature. And it is beneficial to help the older person, as well as anyone along the dying process, find new meaning in the face of death. Mimi, how do you integrate life review into clinical practice? Well, I think there are several interconnecting themes. Again, I think it's very important to understand when you're going to integrate this into your clinical practice, that it's critical to have a good foundation on the therapeutic relationship and what that means. Confidentiality, establishing privacy and trust, non-judgmental approaches, professional boundaries, all those things have to be a springboard for life review. Listening work takes time. You can't do this on a quick basis. It takes time and concentration. Sometimes it takes an imagination and a sense of humor. One author puts it, it takes an attitude that places the patient as the hero of his or her story. So with that basis in mind, there are several themes that are woven through life review. One of them is called recontextualizing. It's actually reframing our self-defined mistakes and failures. It's a chance to reflect on the past, perhaps repair relationships that have become fractured and remembered as failures or disappointments. It's a chance to readdress that. There's also a strong forgiveness theme of both self and others, and this can be an extremely transforming force. Now, forgiveness is not absolving someone of a deed that they did, 
But when a relationship has been repaired, the whole story of that relationship becomes reframed. Everything becomes a prologue to the healing that that's what's remembered rather than years of not speaking to each other. Oftentimes someone has so ill that they can't participate in life review, and so oftentimes the classic empty chair technique is utilized. The third theme that you would see is a reclaiming an unlived life, a reflecting on lost opportunities and maybe pulling the healthcare team together to have that opportunity to do that one last maybe family picnic or that type of thing. Mimi, tell us a little more about the empty chair technique. It is a technique that is utilized in therapy when someone is either absent or not willing to participate in the therapeutic process. And in the instance that someone has perhaps already died or too ill to participate in life review, it could help the family member apologize, forgive, seek forgiveness, that type of thing. It can also work the other way with the patient. I've worked with many patients whose children are estranged and want nothing to do with them. And you can use that empty chair technique for the patient to say, gee, I failed you, please forgive me, I'm sorry, that kind of thing. So that peace within their heart, they know that they have held out their hand and made an attempt to repair a relationship. Lee, how can art and music facilitate life review? Some stories are best related with words, obviously, and a person may hear their favorite music or they may view some familiar artwork, which may stimulate a very strong positive memory from their past. And a person who is dealing with end-of-life issues, this may help them to begin the process of their life review. However, not all patients are capable of speech, obviously, at the end of life. And in such a situation, their stories may best be related through the symbolism of art or music. As you know, art and music therapies have been long been used to help patients express emotions related to their stressful life events. And in a hospice situation or a situation in working with a terminally ill patient, a music or art therapist or even a hospice volunteer or family member could use musical instruments, recorded music, or art supplies to offer the patient an outlet for their self-expression and an outlet for their emotions. Mimi and Lee, thank you so much for joining us to discuss life review with the terminally ill. Thank you for having us, Susan. Thank you so much. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD library. Thank you for listening.